Blog Talk Radio. Grow up and leave the brooder, 
you can use the Bright Tap feeder outdoors to give your adult chickens scratch, grit, and oyster shells. The unique shield also prevents rain from getting into the feed tray and spoiling the food. The Bright Tap feeder fills easily through a lid in the top. No more spills or wasted feed. To learn more, visit our website, chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Combok Feeds. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We'll welcome uh, poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., here shortly. She's going to be talking all about poultry research translated uh, always a fascinating show. She uh, goes out and uh, researches some some information that's been presented, and then kind of gives us gives it to us, translates it, if you will, for uh, uh, our our layman mind, so we can kind of grasp it and understand exactly what it means and what it's talking about, and if we can even utilize that in our in our smaller backyard or smaller production flocks. So um, 
that'll be coming up very soon. Uh, it's good to be back. We were on tour for uh, about six weeks. We traveled through about six or seven states. We had great events, um, sold a lot of books, which was super, gave away a lot of Chicken Whisperer magazines, gave away a lot of biosecurity information from the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program. Uh, we educated a lot of people. Um, we had some great segments on blogbusters and forum busters about bad and false information that's out there all over the Internet and uh, straighten, straighten that, those rumors and, 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 uh, and bad information out. But we had a really good time, and um, we're actually going to be stationary now for, for a while, for about four months, and then we'll hit the road again, as we always do in the spring. It's always a hot time in the spring, as you knew, for, for poultry. But right now, this is, uh, again, just tentative, nothing confirmed. Uh, but I will be speaking in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I believe it's the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of March for the Kalmbach uh, Dealers Meeting. Had a great time there last year. And then uh, after that, maybe a week after that, I'll have some work to do in the Kalmbach Home Office, making some videos, actually, for... Uh, retail stores uh, and their employees based on chicken care and chicken education. <clears throat> but then we'll hit the road. They're talking now about sending me up to uh, Michigan. We've got a lot of fans in Michigan. They're always uh, making their opinions uh, uh, voiced on our Facebook page. When are you coming to Michigan? For years. So it looks like I finally may get up to Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, northern Illinois, northern Indiana. Uh, so uh, maybe even a stop in Ohio, maybe. So that's where we're looking at maybe going this uh, spring and uh, around the mid-March. So it's still going to be quite chilly up that way. I uh, just hope I don't run into any snow. You never know if it's a late, uh, really moist late um, spring uh, snowstorm. So we'll just have to see what uh, happens. It probably won't be as challenging, I hope, knock on wood, as running from tornadoes when we tour through Tornado Alley uh, a couple of years ago. But Hey, that's always fun and always a challenge. But don't want to be anywhere near Tornado Alley in the spring. I just uh, just go ahead and throw that out there. Want to send a quick shout out as uh, I do to all the homeschoolers that tune in live to this show and incorporate this with their daily curriculum. All the over-the-road truck drivers. Let me tell you, I've seen plenty of you guys out there, and thanks for tuning in and downloading the show and listening when you can. I know we hear from some of you guys via email uh, that you listen. Uh, try to stay awake in the rig so keep the rubber on the road and um, all the uh, the stores that stream this live for their customers we appreciate you uh, doing that and of course our live and archive listeners thousands of you that tune into the show because you want you demand science-based fact-based study information uh, for your backyard flock to keep a back healthy backyard flock so um, we thank you for joining us going uh, um, to really you know, get back in, into the routine over the next uh, four months or so. I've got, uh, we'll still be welcoming uh, Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, on, on Mondays. We'll have um, two times a month, we'll have um, Dr. McRae that'll be on. And then, of course, um, I'm going to start reaching out to some other folks uh, in, in the poultry world, really in a small scale, um, and, and start having them on maybe some authors of some books that have been written uh, about backyard poultry other than and then uh, other folks that maybe do some more showing chickens or even do some small-scale pasture-raised chickens. Um, and i got some names and, and people in mind uh, to bring on the show and tell us about their story. We did have a sponsor week while I was on tour and brought some sponsors on. We have a few more to come on. We try to have them on once a year. Tell us uh, what new, what's new, what new products they have being released, 
and all of that great information. So um, we've got uh, we've got that going on. So um, hang on one second, we're saving something. Okay. Anyway, um, let me see if I've gotten any text messages from. Uh, there we go. Perfect. Interesting. So um, I always got things going on here, fifty thousand things at once. But um, but anyway, but yeah, today we've got Dr. McRae. Uh, she's going to be on. We're talking about poultry research translated. Uh, one of my favorite shows when she comes on. Always fascinating. Uh, get that chicken whisperer notebook out uh, so you can take some notes. And we'll go to the phone run, phone lines right now, and we'll bring her on live. So uh, hey, Doc, how you doing? Thanks for joining us today. Good. How are you? Doing good. You're loud and clear today, which is always good. Hopefully for the next four months we'll be in an area where it's got great connectivity, so uh, that's always a good thing, but we appreciate you joining us. Thanksgiving is literally, I mean, just around the corner. Who, who would have yeah. thought? Uh, look, I look at the calendar, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then, um, and then you know, next next thing you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be the big C word. <laughs> <laughs> And like I said, just before we know it, it'll be Christmas. <laughs> That's the, I uh, walked the into Walmart this morning and it said 50 days to Christmas. And I just rolled my uh, eyes and kept going. <laughs> yeah, they had Isn't that scary? a lot of re- retailers had the Christmas stuff up even before Halloween. And I'm telling you, we went into uh, uh, Wally World, I think it was the day after Halloween. And um, they didn't waste any time uh, that, that night because it was, you walked in and it was, <laughs> plastered red, green, and gold, and wreaths, and tri- oh my gosh, I mean, but overnight, I mean, holy cow, November 1st, they were getting into it, so, uh, yeah, before we know it, it'll be that time again, so then we'll celebrate 2016, so, which will actually take us into our, I'm, I'm not mistaken, our eighth year of broadcasting this this uh, podcast, so uh, how cool is wow, that? Wow, Andy! Yeah, eight years shooting for shooting for ten years. We've already done over a thousand episodes. So, shooting for for, for the ten year anniversary, we'll have a big party. How about that? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> have a big party. So, well, that it. that is an <laughs> exceptional milestone. We'll be looking forward to it. Uh, what do they say? God willing, and the creeks don't rise. I'll be there for it. So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, you you never know. So, uh, but so yeah, let's, I'm I'm uh, this is one of my favorite episodes talking about the poultry science uh, translated and poultry research translated because you always come up with some some really interesting things and some of it will apply to backyard and some of it won't, but it's still fascinating nonetheless to hear some of the stuff that. These uh, these brainiacs have uh, have figured out, or wanted to figure out, or thought they needed to figure out, or or student or projects that are published. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They love that. What a great success for them too. They got to be proud of that too. Well, <clears throat> the first one I picked because it was just one of those titles that I came across, and I immediately came to a screeching halt, and I was like, cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> random but cool. <laughs> it's not often that that happens. And whenever I find one of those, I often realize that that's going to be the same thing that tickles the fancy of some of your listeners. Now, there are some research projects that haven't been published, um, that, but are almost going to be published. So I'll have some really fun ones for you next time we do this, Andy. They should be out in publication by then. Um, I reviewed them, but I can't talk about them because they're not published yet. Um, But there are researchers out there who are beginning to do some way cool, totally awesome research with some rare breeds of chickens. So I think finally, Andy... The research community is heeding the call of the small flock owner saying, hey, all that commercial chicken stuff, that's nice, but that's not what I work with or that's not what Mm -hmm. I'm going to make profit from. What Mm -hmm. about what I need and what I use? And so some of the smaller universities are actually responding to that. Um, So, um, you know, it like I said, some of them aren't published yet, so I can't really talk about mm-hmm. that. But that that's a little teaser trailer for you. All right, so this, this first one I want all your homeschool kids and your high school kids, your middle schoolers to pay attention to for their science fair project. Okay? Okay. So the title of this one, which comes from the Journal of Applied Poultry Research, is The Effect of sweet green pepper on yolk color and performance of laying hens. What kind of pepper? Sweet green pepper. Sweet green peppers. Is it like, is that a bell pepper or, or like the long skinny I'm type gonna, of pepper? I'm going to assume it's a bell pepper. Yeah, um, that's what I would consider But this research it. was done in Brazil, so what they may call a sweet okay. green pepper mm-hmm. could be different from our version. Let's see, I'm looking for a scientific name and I'm not finding it at all. Yeah. It's just called a sweet green pepper. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so um we know that when you feed chickens different foods, it changes their mm-hmm. yolk color because mm-hmm. of the different pigments that lay in the vegetable matter, whether you let your chickens out in the yard to eat grass or whether you feed them marigold petals. And that is something that if your young chicken keepers out there want to do, if they want to go buy a packet of marigold seeds and start a flat of marigolds inside the house in the winter, if they can keep it warm enough, then they'll have marigold petals that they can harvest if those plants actually produce flowers, to feed to their chickens and see Mm -hmm. if that makes their yolks any yellower than other times of the year or splitting half your coop up and giving only half of them marigold petals and the rest of them get regular feed. That's something that a kid can do. I remember back in the day that um, I think it was, I don't know if they're still doing it in practice, but I remember back in the day I think it was Purdue. Over in your neck of the woods was oh, doing yeah. the commercials with fed marigold blooms to you know and for color you know the, the wonderful chicken that they were producing blah 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 so um, I know it's that a that's, nice yellow bird. <clears throat> yep, absolutely. That people want to see in that store and they all still wrapped do up. That. They still <laughs> okay. they I still, didn't know do, they still that. do that. Okay. 
and at okay. Purdue and you know other places have picked up on it but you know I figure that most of your your listeners are more egg related so they can do these yeah. kinds of experiments with um with greens you know if you've never given your chicken maybe chopped up um greens you could do that you got to make sure it's small so they don't choke on it and um got to make sure that whatever you give them um, isn't gonna, you know, go moldy and cause mm-hmm. a problem in the coop. So, um, what this particular group did, I don't know why they chose sweet green pepper. That was never really made all that clear, but um, they were responding to the need for um, the use of more natural pigments. Mm-hmm. And you know, what they did is they they got. Uh, single comb white leghorn chickens that were okay. 73 weeks old. They were laying and um, put them in cages because this is a research trial. And um, they had four treatments, okay? The first treatment was the regular diet, the control. No mm-hmm. added sweet green pepper. Okay. Then the second treatment added sweet green pepper, and at a ratio, well, at 75 parts per million. So they dried the pepper and pulverized it into a powder and added it to the diet, okay? okay does it say that they added it to, or does it, uh, you can do that and add it right into the mixture that you heat up and make and compress a pellet with. Yeah. Does it get into that detail? Okay, so they just, okay, got it, okay. So we'll call that low sweet green pepper. Treatment three was medium sweet green pepper, and treatment four was high sweet green pepper. And, um, you know, basically each chicken was fed individually, um, and there were, I think, oh, I'm sorry, there were nine pens with four birds in each pen for each treatment. So there were plenty of replications here using a total of 144 single comb white leghorns. So there was plenty of replications to make sure that no measurement that they got was really due to a fluke. All right. And they fed them a balanced Mm -hmm. diet and they did this for 16 weeks. So four months, plenty of time to, um, if, if you were going to see any changes, you're going to ramp up any changes and, and for it to be noticed inside the birds. So eggs were collected every day at 7 a.m. or collected weekly at 7 a.m. All eggs were um, uh, measured, so they were weighed. They had um, their specific gravity measured. Uh, they also looked at how much the birds were eating on a daily basis. They looked at the birds, each bird's um, what's called hen day egg production, so how many eggs she was laying every day, the egg's weight, the mm-hmm. egg mass, and the feed conversion per dozen. That's how you measure um, feed efficiency in laying hens. It's not how much feed it takes to grow the bird because that's not the goal. It's how much feed it takes to produce a dozen eggs. So that's called feed conversion per dozen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they also looked at the albumin height, the specific gravity, haul unit, yolk weight, albumin weight, 
percent yolk, percent albumin, and the yolk color. They also use something called a colorimeter, which takes a photograph of the egg yolk and measures it using a specific um, measurement device and uh, software program. Uh, it looks for the lightness of the yolk color, the redness of the yolk color, and the yellowness of the yolk color. That same device, the colorimeter, can actually uh, measure the color of all kinds of different things like, say, breast meat color, uh, skin color, all that good stuff. All right, so what did they find out? Well, um, there wasn't all that much difference. Mm -hmm. However, uh, they found that... um, you did get a change in the yolk color, um, change in the yolk redness. Uh, if you added sweet green pepper to the diets, you increased the percent of the yolk. Okay. Um, and so bigger yolks. It, well, not necessarily. Well, it did. Okay. It did increase the yolk percentage. Um, but it also indicated that if you gave them the high levels of sweet green pepper, it decreased the egg weight. So too high, bad. So if you if you give okay. them uh, low or medium levels, yeah, it's okay. You didn't get really much change in specific gravity, albumin height, whole unit, yolk weight, albumin weight. Albumin percentage and the yellowness of the yolk, but you did see some other changes. Um, so, because you depressed egg weight by including the sweet green pepper in high levels, if you were trying to control egg size in older laying hens, that could possibly help by improving shell quality. Because, as we know, as hens age, they're still trying to put the same amount of shell on a bigger and bigger and bigger egg contents, which makes the shell thinner and thinner and thinner. And if you're if you're seeing a problem with shell quality, you might try adding this, and it'll help control egg size in your older flock. Interesting, huh? Yeah. So, um, also, clearly... Specialty markets, folks who want a different colored egg yolk, they they met those needs. Um, so it's it's an interesting way to I, I liked their interesting interpretation of how yes you depressed egg weight, but uh, you might be able to use that to your advantage in some aspect of managing the birds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I was looking at the data, and I looked at the basal diet, or I'm sorry, not the basal diet, the control diet, and they had an average roche color of 7.2. When you bumped it up to the low levels of sweet green pepper, it was at 7.7. That was statistically significant. When you went up to medium and high, levels of sweet green pepper, it remained the same. You you got an Mm 8.1. So, yes, when you add levels of sweet green pepper, you kind of max things out 
So, you know, more if you is were, not always better. Yeah, more isn't always better. So why why add more mm-hmm. when cost wise you you can get away with less, and mm-hmm. you get the same kind of Roche um, score. So for those young listeners out there who are looking for a really cool, easy project, you can do the same thing that these researchers did. You can take and get a kitchen scale. Maybe your folks have one. Maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. But reasonably priced, you can find a kitchen scale for about $10 at big box stores like Walmart. And they usually measure in grams and ounces. Uh, I would recommend grams. But here in the United States, ounces is also acceptable. And you can weigh each egg that you get from your hens before you give them the treatment and after. Or you could split your coop down the middle and half your chickens get something that they normally get. And the other half of your chickens get something brand new added to their diet. And you can weigh each egg every day. Then you crack that egg out and you separate the egg yolk from the egg white using an egg separator. And you don't want to break the yolks because you can't you can't weigh it very easily if you break the yolk. But when you separate the egg yolk from the egg white and um, weigh those individually, if you divide the weight of the yolk by the whole egg weight, then that gives you yolk percent. And if you do the same thing with the albumin, take the albumin weight and divide that by the whole egg weight, that gives you albumin percent. And then if you take eggshell weight, after you've washed it out and dried it overnight, you can weigh that, and that will give you shell weight. And that's a very simple set of measurements that anybody can do to see if what they're feeding their chickens changes over time. Um, Now, doing the Roche color would be way cool, but you have to have a color fan, and those are hard to get hands on. Um, So if if you have uh, an extension office that perhaps has a Roche color fan or you have a university with a big poultry department that has one that they might let you borrow, then that's something for you to consider. Um, if they have a spare one, and then you'd have to take very, 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 very good care of it and return it to them after your experiment was done. And once you do your measurements over the course of maybe a couple of months and you've got your numbers, you can take some averages and see if there was a big difference or no difference at all. So wanted to share that with your listeners. If And I know this isn't exactly science fair season, but uh, if you want to do a little bit of agricultural science in the classroom, that's something very easy that your listeners can do. And if they don't want to wait around and they want almost instant results, then they can, say, add some food coloring to their feed and and, uh, and water (laughs) and, and, and watch the in a day or two, they'll have red yolks or blue yolks. Put some blue, blue, uh, Blue food coloring in, in the water and uh, and even in their in their feed and I know that um, they do that at a, and I won't mention the name at a particular farm where they produce a lot of commercial feed just uh, for guests to come in and, and walk around and see what how how 
influential, if you will, feed is to the hens, the color of the yolk and the egg, and da 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 da, da and how fast it can happen. <laughs> so if they don't want to wait very long, then they can they can experiment with that, and, and or they can just freak out their parents and <laughs> not tell oh, them. Oh my! And, uh, well, Halloween has blue... already passed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> I think they get caught. But, you know, there's some <laughs> out there. Okay. So I found an interesting review article on eggshell color and brown egg laying hens. And this was a review article in Poultry Science Journal. Um, it was a group out of Australia that put together this review article. The difference between a research article and a review article is every grad student out there who's either working on a master's thesis or a Ph.D. dissertation has to do a literature review. And a review of the literature not only familiarizes them with the latest and greatest, but it also tells them what's been done already. And that helps them design their experiment or at least sharpen their focus a little bit more. And as part of that, what they're supposed to do, but not everybody does, um, is they're supposed to publish their literature review as a review article. Now, there are professors out there who can do the same thing. If you know they see a need for review articles on a particular topic, they too can review the literature, do a comprehensive paper. And so a review of the literature just says, okay, this is what folks have been doing, this is the results they got, this is what we've taken with, uh, from it so far. And eggshell color and brown egg laying hens I thought a lot of your listeners might get a uh, kick out of that. They reviewed the literature, and they they indicated that the major pigment found in eggshells of brown egg-laying hens is called protoporphyrin-9, Roman numeral 9. Okay. Um, but there's other traces of pigments there, bilivirdin, um, zinc chelates are there, and we all know that pigment is put on to the egg in the shell gland, mm-hmm. which is in the oviduct. Mm-hmm. Protoporphyrin 9, um, it has a pathway that's defined, but we still don't quite know um, a little bit, you know, it's still a little bit of a mystery. The pig, the pigment, um, how it's synthesized in the shell gland of the hen is still, we don't quite know. So young poultry scientists out there, away you go. Maybe you'll answer that question in my mm-hmm. lifetime and I'll have an answer. And so will Andy. Yeah. All right. The pigment is put onto the eggshell layers, including the shell membrane. So... If you crack open a brown egg, you will see brown all the way through to the shell membranes. Um, and recently, the genes that were associated with pigment synthesis have been identified, but the genetic control of the synthesis and how it's put put in uh, deposited in the uh, commercial laying hen is not really understood. So again, 
there's room for more information. Um, brown color on the shell is um, oh shell quality parameter and consumer preference tends to be, at least in my area, people think it is much more natural or healthy. Um, they're better. So it's still an important factor. There are some things that can affect it. Uh, the extent of deposition is influenced by uh, a lot of factors, like the housing system. Mm-hmm. Who knew that if you keep chickens <clears throat> in a chicken uh, cage versus out in the pasture, you can change the amount of brown that the chicken puts on its egg. The age of the hen, clearly. Uh, the strain that you purchase, that seems obvious. Diet, stressors. If a bird's stressed out, they may not produce as brown of an egg as you're looking for. And of course, we all know that certain diseases, <coughs> excuse me, certain diseases can affect um, overall shell strength as well as shell color, like infectious bronchitis. So if you get a wrinkly egg, sometimes that may mean, that may be your first indication that you have a health problem in the flock. So, um, so many times you see on blogs, so many times you see on blogs and forums when they post different pictures of it, oh, yeah, that's perfectly normal, no problem, always happens, this, that, or the other, but there's a little bit more to it than just somebody on a blog saying, there can oh, yeah, be. that's per- perfectly fine, yeah, okay, good. So if you get a wrinkly shelled egg, sometimes that means that you've got a problem and you are completely unaware, and your birds need help, and you don't know it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, not every time. So um, that's why your responsibility is to do due diligence. All right. Um, I found an older article that I thought some of your listeners would get a kick out of. And after I do this one, I figure you'll probably want to go to commercial break. So um, um, this one came out of the International Journal of Poultry Science. And it's about a decade old, but (laughs) it was done in Japan. It's called Dehydrated Kitchen Waste as a Feedstuff for Laying Hens. Okay. So this group, um, they went to their local um, retirement home and collected kitchen waste. Um, So Scrapings of plate waste, unusable leftovers, um, kitchen prep waste. And they basically wanted to see how effective dehydrating that and feeding it to the chickens would be. So um, kitchen waste was blended and dried um, in in a heater that was set at about 80 to 85 degrees Celsius. And when the actual um, kitchen waste itself reached a temperature of 60 to 65 degrees Celsius, then they they took it out. Um, They looked at the the product that they were getting ready to feed to the chickens. It was 12% moisture, 15% crude protein, 5% fat, 2% crude fiber, 5% ash, uh, almost 3% calcium, 
and then very little of uh, phosphorus and sodium. However, they did note that there was a high salt content in the food. Um, and so they they added it, you know, they had the control diet. That was the first one. Then they had uh, three different addition percentages of the, the dried kitchen waste, 12.5%. 25% and 50%. Um, they had 40 laying hens, so there was a total of 10 birds in each of the treatment. Uh, and basically, <laughs> the diet that had 50% dried kitchen waste mm-hmm. decreased egg weight. Okay. There were no significant differences in the egg production rate or the feed conversion per dozen. Um, But the birds that were fed um, the control, the low level of dried kitchen waste and the medium level of dried kitchen waste increased their body weights during the feeding period. Whereas that wasn't the case with the birds fed 50% dried kitchen waste. The egg strength tended to weaken as you increased the amount of dried kitchen waste that you added to the diet. So the eggshell strength started to weaken. Um, The lightness of the eggshell color was significantly higher as you increased the amount of kitchen waste you gave your chickens. But the the reverse was the case with the redness of the eggshell color. <clears throat> Roche color fan values decreased as you increase the amount of dried kitchen waste in the diets. <laughs> and, you know, it indicated that, yes, the chickens are going to eat it. Um, there may be a sweet spot, but this was just one study. I don't think there's been anything since then. However, um, you know, not everybody who listens to your show is going to take the time to dry their kitchen waste. They're using it in a much more wet form. And, you know, apples and oranges, Andy. Yeah, because... One is dried and one isn't. So, you know, you you may not get the same nutrient content if a lot of the food that Mm -hmm. you're feeding your birds is full of water. Which is going to pass mm-hmm. right through. Interesting. So, there you go. I th- I thought I would share that one with you. Yeah, that was cool. I'm excited when I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll take a break. I'll comment on that uh, about something related here in in a few minutes. But um, yeah, very very cool. Got to uh, got to love it. We're talking with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae from Delaware State University, and uh, she's talking all about. Poultry Research Translated, one of my favorite episodes when she is on. And there will be more, including, I'll just give her a heads up, Um, I'm going to share with her a study that's always, always produced whenever I challenge folks on the accuracy that pumpkin seeds is a natural dewormer in chickens. And then when I say show me the proof, they produce a study from Delaware State University but it all has to do with goats and ruminants. Last time I checked, chickens aren't ruminants, nor are they goats, and they failed to research that or even read the study that shows that 
guess what? At the end of the study, the ghost still had worms. So uh, we'll talk about that <laughs> when we get back after this short break. Stay with us, folks. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. 
Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com and try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. How would you like a punch in the beak? All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And today's guest, of course, is poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray. And uh, I'm going to bring her back live here, make sure I push the right button on the switchboard. There we go. And um, But, yeah, I just it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, that well, that people always refer to that study because it's one of the first ones that comes up on Google when you go and Google it. All the Google scientists that are out there. And uh, then they'll post and say, here's proof that pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for, for chickens. And then they refer to a study that the word chicken isn't even used in the study. Not a chicken, single chicken was studied. And um, it's about goats and ruminants. And then it, it, at the end of the day, it basically, in a nutshell, shows that uh, they, they expelled some worms. But guess what? After it was all said and done, they still had worms. But it's the one they always refer to because it's the first one that comes up on Google when they run to Google when I challenge them on Show Me the Proof. And so I'm very familiar with it. But it was a Delaware State uh, study on yeah. uh, on goats. And so I, I was on the committee of both of the students who did that work. Really? Yeah, that's the first one they always refer to. It drives me nuts. But, you know, I, I try to share with them um, that, no, no, at a minimum, we need to start off with chickens that actually have worms. And then we actually need to know what type of pumpkin seeds were given, how many pumpkin seeds were given, how long they were given, how do we know all the chickens got the same dose that was given. And then we, at the end, you know, we need, we need a test that shows that they no longer had worms. And uh, more times than not, you get, well, well how, how how do you know pumpkin seeds is not natural dewormer for chickens? Oh, because I'll give them pumpkin seeds and they don't have worms. Really? Have you ever had them tested for worms? No. That's <laughs> just to go down the yeah. snowball every time. Every time somebody... <laughs> Every time somebody posts that on a, on a blogger forum, I, I just and, and, and you know when you when you challenge them, nobody nobody likes to be wrong. Let's face it, nobody likes to be challenged. We're humans. We get offended. We get upset. But you know, we're, so when I try to go down this route with them, every time someone posts that. Uh, I, I'm the mean guy because I'm just all I'm doing is asking for proof. And then I had somebody that actually thought they got me. Uh, we were going down this regular routine list that I always do when we're, we're doing this. And uh, and she says, well, I, I know it's an all-natural dewormer because I give mine pumpkin seeds and they don't have worms. And I'm like, well, do you ever have them tested or have you ever had them tested? Uh, well, yes, I actually have mine tested every six months at the vet. And I'm like, oh, so and so she thought me, she thought she got me there. But then I followed up with, oh, so at one time your chickens had internal parasites or, or worms. Oh, no, they've never had worms. Well then, how do you know that <laughs> that they because they have to have one? Uh, so you try to go down that route, and then you just get labeled a Mister Mean Man just because you're trying to you know throw out this information to have them think, to have them you know, and even the newbies say, yeah, look, you that's know, this dangerous when small flock owners don't want to think about 
drink critically about things, then then they're a danger to their flock at times. And sometimes they don't want to 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 be hassled mm-hmm. with having yeah. to think critically about their chickens. And then then you kind of go, well, are you really doing right by your birds? Mm-hmm. Because you're 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 not willing to go and make sure that everything that you're putting them into them is is legit, and therefore, um, you know what what if you shorten their lifespan because of your decision or your your lack of decision. Lack of critical analysis. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, yeah. it's so frustrating. Uh, it's just it's absolutely crazy. So um oh then they say oh it's a preventative. Oh uh, got any proof of that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nope. I'd like to see. So, yeah. Uh, How yeah, it's, so? It's, 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 what biological mechanism is being activated in this prevention process? Uh, so that's great uh, that you were involved in that that goat study because everybody, you know, that's the first thing. Oh, they throw I wasn't up. involved in the study, although I did uh-huh. see a, just a ton of pumpkins sitting around at the farm. <laughs> I was asking, uh-huh. I kept asking the students, "How you doing?" They're like, "We're sick of pumpkin seeds." I'm like, "This is your project." And they're like, "Thanks, Dr. Go. McRae. I'm looking forward to your thesis." They're like, "Good Good work." Yeah, thanks to them and Google. That's the first one everybody <laughs> posts. Thanks, Delaware State. Yeah. <laughs> but they just, uh, it's, it's it's crazy. They, I don't know. But anyway. So um, let's let's carry on. Okay, have, uh, so one carry or two on. More. We got a few. We're gonna carry yes. on here. Um, you know how people absolutely adore their chickens and love to snuggle and huggle and kiss on their chickens, right? Yes. Well, I just thought I'd share a little tidbit of information with folks about the kind of mycological uh, flora on chicken combs. So if you're going to huggle and cuggle on your chickens but not kiss their face but maybe their comb, well, let me tell you what you're putting on your lips. Mmm, num, num, num. And if you have... And you know that this this past spring, as you know, the CDC came out and, you know, everybody kind of made fun and because it was a really a catchy tagline and everybody across all different aspects of media caught on to it and were printing it and says, CD warns not to be kissing your chickens. And everybody was just like, really? I have to be told this by the CDC? But those are a lot of folks that obviously aren't in the backyard poultry arena that know that for a lot of people they're no longer agriculture or food short. They are strictly pets. You know who I'm talking about. My listeners know who I'm talking about. And, and I, oh no! And then of course, the, I'm, yeah. How many? You know, I'm still going to kiss my chickens. And, okay, fine. Do what you want to do. But I, I've kissed my chickens for 20 years and nothing's ever happened. Well, I, I'm fine. But tomorrow's another day. Uh, I quote that's quoted from. I'm looking at my files. Doctor McCray. <laughs> and tomorrow's <laughs> another day. Oh, well, anyway, let's, hey. I'll share with you what they found on chicken combs. Now, awesome. This study was done in Germany, so I'm taking you all around the world today. We did, we awesome. did Brazil, we did Australia, we did Japan. Now we're going to Europe. 
So they did a, a testing of a total of 500 combs in adult chickens. Um, they looked at the, the combs clinically, and they looked at the combs mycologically. And mycology okay, how, how many, study how many chickens were studied? 500. 500. 500 chicken combs, yep. So chickens came from um, three farms that had battery cages, one farm that had an aviary cage system, and six flocks that were maintained on a deep litter system, and 12 flocks that were kept on free outdoor range. Okay? So there's some good... Good news here. 22 of the ch- the 500 chicken combs, so only about 4.4% were found to have clinical sound signs. Um, only non-specific lesions or um, mycosis. So they they found you know lesions on very few birds. Uh, so they were looking for things like avian pox lesions. Um, things associated with that particular disease and the inflammation and lesions and color changes that can occur with those. So only 22 out of the 500 had said lesions. Only 7 of the 22 um, altered combs that showed signs had positive mycology. Uh, And... uh, you know, they found some yeast in some of those cases, uh, but in general, it was Trichophyton terrestre, which, you know, that was what was associated with that those obvious lesions. Now, for the rest of them, when they swabbed chicken cones, they found a lot of different funguses. They found dermatophytes. They found um, all kinds of different, like trichosporon, candida, including candida albicans, um, which is pathogenic or possibly pathogenic, some of the candidas that can cause um, problems in birds, uh, causing uh, thrush or frounce in some species. And, you know, they're just, they just found all kinds of different kinds of uh, yeast and bacteria on there, and there wasn't really a correlation between the clinical symptoms and the types of species that they isolated. Um, they were looking for the causative agent of a disease called Favus, which is Trichophyton gallinae, and um, the, saf- the saf- saprophytic yeast in pigeons. Um, which is uh, Chrysosporium neoformans, um, they didn't find that, which is good. It's a problem organism, but it wasn't there. In these big commercial systems, in the um, battery systems, in the outdoor range, in the deep litter, and in the aviary system, it just wasn't there. That's good. So, the most frequently isolated yeasts were um, Malaysia sympodialis and Cloecara apiculata. 
I'm very proud of myself for getting that one out. Um, <laughs> and they found those most frequently, and they were suggesting as a result of this research that those two specific uh, isolate organisms be classified as resonant flora of the chicken comb. So that is uh, an interesting result. Um, so unless you're going to wipe down your chicken's comb, you know, with a with a little um, alcohol pad, you know, just keep in mind that chickens do have stuff on the outside of their bodies. And, you know, depending on your health and or the health of your kids or parents or whatever, if you're going to handle your birds, go wash your hands afterwards. Don't want to track yep. that stuff into the kitchen and then go making something and possibly cause family members to become sick. So go wash your hands after you handle your birds. And yep. uh, don't be kissing any chicken combs. Ugh. <laughs> I'll pass. Thank you. <laughs> yep, and um, not only that, the, the scenario that I share a lot is um, uh, letting the dogs out with your chickens in the coop or outside where they run, and the dogs are obviously going to be stepping in chicken poo, and then you may wash your hands and maybe even have a pair of boots, and you open the screen door and, come on, Fido, come on in, and here comes the dog or two or three or six. Um, that have been running out in the yard and have stepped in chicken food and that's on their feet and then they walk in your house. It's on your carpet. It's on your floors. It's in your bed. It's on your couch. It's on your chair. It's on your shirt when they hop up to you to want their treat and you have no idea that maybe salmonella in there. So that's just one yeah. scenario. A lot, of, a lot of people, I'm raising my hand right now, never really thought about, at least early on in my chicken keeping career, you know, many moons ago, uh, you know, because we had the dogs and they were out there with the chickens. In fact, I had one dog that would go into the coop and bring me the eggs right in the nesting box. So, <laughs> but then they were next, they were never in the house. We had a sunroom that they were kept in and they had the full range of the backyard, which was fenced. Yeah, you've got that, so, that measure <laughs> of separation. Yeah, but still, a lot of people come on right on into the house, on the carpet, on the, on the couch, in their lap, in the bed. And they don't even think twice of it. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those there's things. There's no doubt that these folks love their animals. That's not what's being called into question here. It's okay to love your animals. It's also okay to use good common sense. Mm-hmm. And that means keep it clean, folks. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. What a great show. Um, do we have time for one more? We do have time for one more if you'd like to share. I actually have two more, but I wasn't sure how long you wanted the show to go today. I want to narrow it down to one. Pick, pick, pick your poison. Which which one do you think choose our listener po- base would enjoy the most? I'll let you choose. How about that? Okay. Sounds good. You have a choice between the title Microbiology of Pre-Chill Carcasses from Medium <laughs> and Fast-Growing Pasture Broiler Chicken Strains or Bird Density stress markers, and growth performance in Italian chicken breed called Milanino. Let's do the pasture-raised poultry and their germs. You okay. see what I did there? I just kind of made it lemon terms there, baby. I took all that long explanation, <laughs> picked out some words you talked about, and I said, let's talk about pasture-raised broilers and their germs. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is from the good old United States. 
And from researchers that I'm um, fairly familiar with down at uh, uh, North Carolina State University. Um, Great school. So, yeah, good poultry school. So if you young chicken folks out there are interested in poultry schools, I'm going to recommend the following. My alma mater, Auburn University. Um, Georgia, University of Georgia. Mississippi State, Texas A&M, University of Arkansas, yeah. uh, North Carolina State University, and then also Penn State uh-huh. has a great program. All right. UC Davis. UC Davis? It doesn't have the same program that they had when I was a student. Uh. It was such a small program that when when the um, recession came around, it was one of those that was just, ploop, gone. Oh. I know, because it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I speak from experience. Um, okay, so consumer demand has been calling for more and more free-range and organic poultry products. USDA has rules that require that um, broiler carcasses, before they go into the, or after they pull out, are pulled out of the chiller, they're tested for E. coli, salmonella, and campylobacter. And so, um, you know, there's a a lot of information on the Cornish cross, because that's what we tend to eat in the United States, Mm -hmm. but there's not Mm -hmm. as much information on the Freedom Ranger. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got you've got what commercial industry tends to use all the time, then you've got the Freedom Ranger, and you're kind of going, all right, what are people putting out on the pasture? Well, many times it's the Freedom Ranger. So, you know, they wanted to compare the levels of total coliforms and E. coli on the two types of birds and see what the prevalence of Campylobacter and Salmonella is. So mm-hmm. this this looked at, they actually counted the number of coliforms and counted the number of E. coli, whereas they just determined if Campylobacter and Salmonella was there, yes or no, that's a prevalence study. So um, they did two trials. They used 40 Cornish crosses and 40 free-range broilers raised together on pasture with water and feed, so they were sharing similar pastures. And when they reached market weight, the birds were processed in 20 carcasses before they went into the chiller for each strain were evaluated and um, counted the amount of bacteria. They also looked at the viscera of the bird. They they opened up the okay. birds and they took out the, the viscera or the guts and, you know, they wanted to, to harvest certain sections of the gut that are known to carry Campylobacter and they harvested those. Those were actually the cica. Um, so they had for the um, mean count for coliforms, total coliforms and E. coli was 3.8 and 3.4. That was for the uh, Freedom Rangers. And that was um, significantly lower than for the Cornish Cross group. Yay! Everybody, mm-hmm. round of applause. Yay! Okay. So the salmonella prevalence on the carcasses was not different in trial one because of the strain, but the free-range strain had a significantly lower sa- level of salmonella or prevalence of salmonella than the um, Cornish cross stain. However, that was 50% versus 100% or 
one hundred percent, and that was just in trial two. Okay, so salmonella didn't disappear, but it was there less frequently. Yeah, that might point to the fact that salmonella might be adapted to Cornish cross strains, which folks are going to say, see, that's why we want to raise Freedom Rangers. They mm-hmm. keep the salmonella away. Well, <laughs> who says salmonella isn't going to adapt? You know, it's not a stupid bug. It's figured out a lot of stuff, and who knows what the future mm-hmm. will bring. So, it uh, didn't matter what strain they had, whether it was free range or uh, Freedom Ranger or uh, Cornish Cross, the Campylobacter levels were just high, period. 95% for Freedom Rangers, 100% for Cornish Crosses. So folks who want to say that by raising their birds out on pasture, they're healthier, they have less bacteria, don't kid yourself. You can you can bring in bacteria and you know if the bacteria is there it's going to find a home in and a niche in chickens and you may still find it so um one of the other things in trial 2 although the the medium growing uh, freedom ranger birds showed lower levels of coliforms and e coli and a lower prevalence of salmonella um even when they were reared with the fast growing cornish cross it's not known if this could have been due to an inherent ability of the the Freedom Rangers to resist colonization or benefit from longer or the benefit of longer life on the pasture. So, you know, there's there's still some things to be figured out here and what an exciting study. What fun they must have had doing this. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Very very interesting stuff. I picked a good one. I picked a good one. You did. Good job, Andy. <laughs> a good one. So Awesome. Uh, uh, Chris McChick in the chat room said, hi, kids. So apparently they woke up and have woken up from nap. So apparently she could hear him <laughs> in the background a little bit. So uh, this is a family affair. So, uh, But um, awesome show. Like I said, it's one of my favorites because we're all about science-based, fact-based, study-based information. And here it is. And here, you know, do with it what you wish. And um, uh, always fascinating uh, information when you're on. It's nice to know, know that research us. is out there. Working for you, mm-hmm. folks. Absolutely, and I know you won't be on here in a couple of weeks. You've got uh, something going on. Uh, I think poultry lady. Yeah, I'm going to be at the National and 4-H Poultry and Egg Conference. Sweet. So, those of you who are from states that send teams, give them all your your warm fuzzy thoughts in a couple of weeks. On uh, Thursday is the big day. I think that is the 19th of November. All these kids are going to be gathering from our 50 states, and they're going to be give, doing their best to uh, bring home the gold. Hey, let me ask you this, because I'm traveling around the country, uh, and I have the 4-H'ers come up uh, to my events, and, and FFA, but 4-H as well, and, and I ask them so many times, I ask them, do you all do avian ball? And they're like, no, or what's that? And so is it not uh, every 4-H group is, not every 4-H group does it. No? Yeah. Maybe they have like, someone wow. they're not as interested in it. Um, you have to have a coach who's willing to coach them, and then you've got to have competitions to aim for. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you don't have either one, well, yeah. shucks. It's not going to be an avian bowl. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not, 
So I, I, I try to ask them if they do it, and if not, or if they give me that look like the empty shell, like, huh? Um, no, <laughs> avian bowl is not some. Yeah, avian bowl is not a, a, an entree at your local Chinese restaurant. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's a different bowl, avian bowl, and it's. Uh, but yeah, and then they kind of get interested a little bit. I'm like, yeah, look it up. There's even a whole book about it, book with questions, a study guide, or. Yeah, curriculum. It's, a manual. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's amazing stuff. So, and I know uh, some of your those. listeners have purchased the avian bull manual just so they can add to the knowledge that they carry mm-hmm. with them for the sake of their birds, and they love it. Yep, they love it. That is, it's absolutely awesome. Well, we're going to miss you here actually in in a couple of weeks because we've got uh, you're supposed to be on the 19th, and then uh, you normally not here on to no. Wait a minute. Yeah, the 19th. Uh, one, two, three, yeah, four. And then, of course, we have Thanksgiving. We'll broadcast right. uh, probably that week. Uh, well, we may do a Monday or Tuesday, but but um, so it'll be December. It'll be December 3rd yeah. when we have you back on. And uh, if our folks will hang out for just a second, I will see exactly what our topic is. I may be, be able right to come here. on like on Monday or Tuesday and announce the results briefly from so National. Uh, oh, this is going to be a good one, December 3rd. How to groom your chicken. Yeah. And then I saw, I was watching Netflix the other day, and I was watching America's Test Kitchen, and the young lady from Pennsylvania who won her state qualifier for the chicken barbecue contest wrote in and thanked the folks at the America's Test Kitchen, and they read it on air. The recipe she got for her winning chicken came from there. Um, their Cornell chicken recipe. And so if I'm lucky, I may sneak into the chicken barbecue um, room and <laughs> see if I can't t- taste that chicken and see how good it is. I'll let you know if I, yeah. if I get in there. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I bet they don't have a 10-foot frying pan. No, no. <laughs> only we do here on Del Marva. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just, uh, oh, jeez. So, hey, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, and uh, we'll see you definitely on the 3rd, if not before. Enjoy, Andy. Great. Thank you so much. Take care. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron, and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. 
Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. McMurray Hatchery is the world's oldest and largest rare breed hatchery. They have been providing their customers quality poultry since 1917 and have more than 110 different breeds to choose from. Be sure to sign up for their weekly special email at mcmurrayhatchery.com and receive a $5 internet exclusive coupon to use on your first internet order. McMurray Hatchery, the world's largest and oldest rare breed hatchery. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. I want to remind everybody, and if you haven't already, I'm not sure why, but you can subscribe totally free, always will be. None of this bait-and-switch stuff or get one issue in the mail for free and then you have to pay for the rest. No, you can subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Um, today, absolutely free. Uh, no catch. It will be emailed to your email four times a year. You can read it on your iPhone, your iPad, your your laptop, your desktop, your phone um, for free. And get all this great information from, uh, again, uh, Dr. Patiski out of UC Davis, uh, Dr. McRae, uh, out of uh, Delaware State University, the Peter Brown, the Shapin doctor, um, Dr. Um, Nancy uh, Jefferson, uh, poultry nutritionist, uh, all this great information um, at your fingertips to help you raise a healthier flock in your backyard for, yep, you guessed it, F-R-E-E, free, zero, nada, goose egg, zilch, zippo, four times a year, thousands uh, of subscribers uh, since we launched the magazine almost two years ago, thousands of print subscribers. They want it mailed right to their door. They can keep them in catalog uh, any time they want. Uh, but if uh, you want to save a tree or two, then you can do that uh, digitally, too, and it's free. Uh, the print subscription, you know, some people will say, I like to sit on a rainy day in my easy chair in the living room and flip through a magazine, the real magazine, nine ninety five a year, under $10. How awesome is that? I'll mail you one four times a year. It's the uh, fastest-growing poultry uh, magazine in, in the country right now, so very proud and blessed uh, for that. So we hope you have an absolutely wonderful day. Uh, we'll probably be back this coming Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor uh, with Peter Brown as we get rolling here uh, again with the uh, with the podcast. So thank you very much for uh, joining us today. We may even start opening the chat room a little bit for people to uh, chat with each other and ask questions uh, with their chicken-keeping peers. So we may uh, start uh, start again with that uh, during the live show. So thanks so much. Remember, all of our shows are archived. So you can go back and listen to show number six we did seven years ago. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have an absolutely wonderful and blessed weekend. God bless everybody. Aww.